Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Uh, this episode would have never happened um, in our last format. Now, this is episode 127, 100 behind the smoke episodes, and now we're at 127. Uh, there was no one better to bring on as our first virtual guest than somebody that I have respected um, since we got into the podcasting game. Uh, started doing research to find out who's the Michael Jordan of the industry, and the first person, the only person, the person on the pillar was not. None other than Greg Rempe of the Barbecue Central Show. Greg, welcome to uh, Digital Hospitality. Great to be here, Sean. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you having Stover and I on uh, earlier last week on your show. Um, tell us a little bit of what you've been doing to kind of highlight what's happening with coronavirus. I just thought it was important, especially last week as everything was unfolding, to do a couple different things. One, uh, since my show... Typically, so I have a live show on Tuesday nights, but then on Wednesday, I release hour number one in a podcast, hour number two on Thursdays in a podcast, and then I have a best of show that is a straight up podcast that releases on Friday. I wanted to add some extra content, talk about what's going on with some of the experts in the industry, but at varying levels. So the first one was with Nick Solaris, who's very well entrenched into the New York City scene, but he also travels domestically, internationally, a very well-acclaimed food expert, meat expert, and so on. So we got his take on where the restaurant industry is currently, especially in New York City, and then uh, across the country where we might see it on the other side as the coronavirus resolves itself. Then the next day I had Sam the Cooking Guy on, who I know you're a big fan of and you've talked to on your previous shows, get his take on the whole virus, how he's being locked down, what they're doing with food, because that's his whole deal is making food. He had lockdown recipe shows over the last two or three releases. And it was interesting to get his take on everything because he's also uh, in partnership with some other restaurant owners uh, that he's had to deal with. And then uh, talking with you and Stover, uh, certainly nobody knows the pain, as you just mentioned about what's happening right now in restaurants. And I thought it was important to talk to somebody who is really operating a restaurant to see what that situation was like. So providing more entertainment than normal, hopefully, uh, but also to give perspective on varying levels of what the coronavirus is doing to all of us, both individually and across the business. Yeah, I think it's important for people to know, you know, this is never have we ever gone through anything like this, um, not just in in our time, in our lifetime, but, you know, business-wise, uh, something that's impacted so many different industries all at the same time. You know, it's easy for me to go, woe is me, and say, you know, I've lost, you know, 70% of my staff and calling each one of them and making sure they're safe and making sure, you know, how are they going to, are they going to be able to even process an unemployment claim, you know, getting in line with the three other million people that have filed claims. Yeah. Uh, it is, it's tough out there. And I think probably this is going to be the first time where every industry is really going to look at themselves and find out what am I doing digitally um, to get our message out? Because you have been successfully putting on the Barbecue Central show 12 years now? Yeah, 12 live, two plus before that, uh, just in a traditional 14, podcast fashion. So 14 so total. 14 years of internet publishing. Yeah. Um, which makes you one of the resident experts in all industries. Um, tell me a little bit about, because I think it's important for people to know that even if you have a full-time job, you've been doing this part-time and you've built this incredible brand for yourself, an incredible following of people. And you've given a gift to the barbecue community that, you know, you've been covering all aspects of barbecue, um, for that long. And it's documented. It's evergreen. It's searchable. You've had all you, you name it, the, the celebrities, they've come on your show and they've given valuable information to people like me who are, you know, at, at one point we were starting to become a barbecue restaurant. I needed to learn from the pit masters that were the best. Um, tell us, tell me a little bit about the beginning part. Why did you decide to get into internet publishing and why, why barbecue? Before podcasting was, I don't even know if it's even still like a, it's more known. I think the term is thrown around in households a little bit more, but I still think when we talk about, is it in its infancy? Is it adolescent? Is it mature? It's still more in its infancy. A lot of people are still starting to get to know it now, and I've been doing it for 14 years. But back before that, 
there were these things called message boards, and that's really where the whole thing started. I started a message board. It started to grow. Uh, within that same time frame, there were a number of other barbecue message boards that came out. So instead of just trying to figure out how I was going to meander through all of the other shit, I decided to separate. So I had heard of podcasting at that point. There was a guy by the name of Ray Basso who was the owner of the most popular barbecue and grilling forum at the time called the Barbecue Forum. And he did a really crappy podcast, but it was my first introduction to it. And I thought, hey, that's not a bad idea. I can set my forum apart by making a podcast that was specifically dedicated to my forum. I would talk to my members. We would talk about how to cook stuff. I would give stats about my forum and how many members I had. It all seemed like such a great idea that many years ago, but it was something that was going to allow um, another value added to be a member of the barbecue for or barbecue central forum than it was going to be at the other 50 or 60 forums that were out there. So that was really the introduction. It was only to set apart my forum from everybody else's. I had a audio component now where everybody else was still just a, a text and writing it. And what year was this? So that probably would have been 2006. 2006. The live show started February 7, 2008. So it started with an RSS feed, which is where you're publishing that audio content. Yep. Onto a website. Yeah, just recording so, it. I, I, like te- Actually, it, the, the very first, it, I had no RSS feed at all. The very first way I put together a podcast was through a third-party unit called Telcaster. And it was basically a teleconference that had some really bad 10-second intro music and outro music. And uh, had a, a very simple web interface. You hit record, you hit the music, you talked. Everybody sounded like they were on a phone because everybody was on a phone. And then you played the outro music, you hit stop. Then it published a file. You could embed it into the post. And that's how it started. It wasn't until maybe a year after that I decided to actually get it onto different podcast platforms where I needed to have the RSS feed. And I bought a piece of software that generated it for me because I had no idea how to do that. When you look at one physically, it's very intimidating. And that's how the real podcast got started at that point. And that happened with the birth of the iPhone, which was in 2007. Yeah, more or less. Apple Podcasts came out and changed the game for podcasters everywhere. Totally. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, back to your point about... I think it's still in its infancy stage because people don't still really understand what a podcast is. Um, really, we're it, it's storytelling in audio form, right? But now you also have video. Um, back to we were never able to even have this because our Derek and I, when we started Behind the Smoke, our belief was that we were going to do in-person interviews, which was incredible. And we did that with Behind the Smoke. It wasn't until episode, you know, about 40 episodes in that we had Kyle Whistle on who brought his own video. He's like, is it okay if I use this Mevo camera to video it for my YouTube page? Of course, that was an aha moment. Oh, shit. Like, (laughs) why are we capturing video as well? Um, Because some people use YouTube as a podcast platform, whether they're watching the conversation or just listening. Listening to it. And I think, you know, for us, we've always tried to be as flexible as possible, especially, you know, starting with digital hospitality, Stover and I, Aaron, our crew, we wanted to go out, have an interview, but also use video to show, give context to the story, allow, allow us to show off a business, allow us to show off a personality, um, do things differently. We're in quarantine. We're literally every single channel that you turn on, um, obviously not ESPN because there's not much sports to report. But if you're talking about major news networks that are national, major uh, news that's local, everyone is doing some sort of Zoom, Skype, um, call-in, which is video and audio. And I think, you know, for the first time, there's been a leveling of the playing field where you've been in this as an expert. I mean, it's got to be entertaining to you to see, you know, someone from the, you know, CBS Evening News doing an interview from their hotel room or from their house and have to contend with many things that you've had to deal with, you know, for years. The 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 biggest joy that I've gotten out of this past week, and there's been few joys, is when the Howard Stern Show came back on the air this past Monday. 
I said, oh my God, my show sounds 500 million <laughs> light years better than the Howard Stern show. Is that something that's going to happen now? Probably come next Monday when all the equipment is installed in their respective homes. It goes back to sounding much more like the traditional show that he has when he's in studio. But to hear them fire up on Monday and hear nobody having earphones and microphones and hear all the room noise and everybody talking over each other, I was in my glory for a good solid three hours as I listened to that first show and then was happy that it was back and then was a little bit more relenting on Tuesday and well relenting on Wednesday, knowing that this coming Monday it was going to sound more like the real show. But man, uh, and you're right, you watch it on television and you can see who has any amount of tech savvy and who is horrible. And it has really leveled the playing field as it were. Uh, tell me about Howard Stern when, uh, you know, why, why do you, why do you listen to him? And, and when did that journey start? Because, you know, he, he's obviously somebody that you always reference and, um, any good st- storyteller, any, anyone that's in radio, if Howard Stern, you know, typically Howard Stern's on their list. I remember the first time I heard him, I was like way young. I was with my dad. We were on the way to, I think, a beverage store. I don't even have any context to the story that I'm about to tell, except it was Howard Stern. And he said, people are turds. And I don't even know (laughs) what he was talking about. Maybe like way, way back in the day. uh, You won't even remember this, but uh, there were these things called Cabbage Patch Kids. And they were the hot item for Christmas one year. People were trampling over each other. So I think it might have been in reference to that. But I just remember people are turds. That was exposure number one. And then fast forward all the way to 97 or I'm sorry, 92. I graduate high school, had to go to community college right off the bat because I didn't really care about studying too much. And all the colleges told me, no, thanks. You're going to have to spend a year at home and figure out how to be a student. So I did that. But in commute, I found him on 98.5 WNCX in the morning. And I have listened to him every single day since he's been on the air. Um, Initially, it was salacious. It was outrageous. He was saying things that everybody wanted to say, but nobody was saying it. And then when he graduated into the uh, satellite radio aspect, well, now there are no limits. There's no FCC regulation. He could swear. He could do whatever he wants. So initially, again, we're back to a, a bit of salacious stuff. But over the years since he's been on satellite, And everybody talks about it. He's become much more of an intriguing interviewer, uh, listening and evolving. And all of those things to me are uh, very romantic, very attractive. And not necessarily that I'm modeling myself or my show after him, but trying to pick some of the best parts that I think are worthwhile and that would add value to my listening audience and then applying those into what I do every Tuesday. And then one of the things, you know, that I know he talks about, which I find compelling is he, he talks a lot about the business and about his show specifically. You know, he kind of gives you a behind the, he's not, he's not afraid to let you peek behind the curtain, um, to let you know how he does his show and why he does his show. Audio is very important to him. Controlling the board is important to him. Uh, National Barbecue Association in 2017, we had our first, uh, barbecue podcast row meetup where you were there. I was there, Stover, Yoni. Uh, Derek, um, we were doing shows from there. You were doing four hours of live shows for three days, and it was just you running everything and running with your head cut off, trying to get internet. Um, but it was, I'll always remember that because, you know, you made an impression on me because of how much you care about your show and the attention to detail. Um, it's because it was the first time you left, you know, you left the comfort of your own home where you've always done your show and you went on the road. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the, the Howard Stern in you, um, but also, you know, that experience. That experience was unique because I wouldn't have gone if I didn't believe in the products that I was bringing with me to give me the most studio sound possible. It wasn't going to be an ISDN line, of course, but I had found a product that was via the internet and I'd consulted with the owners a bunch of different times and told them my mania of wanting to sound good. But basically, I had set up the studio at home with this piece of software. And then I had a laptop that I brought down to Fort Worth with you guys. I had a little interface that had a couple, two, three different uh, headset microphones for the guests and then uh, for myself. And then I basically was my own guest. So I was taking the feed from Dallas connecting into my home from Cleveland and then going out 
live across my different channels, whether it was YouTube or Facebook or the audio only stream that I have. But the, the overriding concern for me was how good is it going to sound? And we did a tremendous amount of testing before I got on the plane and headed down there. So I felt confident enough that if the internet connection was good, because you know the internet, when you have an internet-based anything, it, it all is predicated upon a successful internet connection, which is really the only reason I never wanted to go anywhere else to do a live show, because I was always under the fundamental thought that I would go... We would link up. It would be great. And then right at the pinnacle moment, the internet would cut out or a technical issue would happen. And then whoever was listening, that's all they would remember was, oh, we got right to the thing. And then it took a shit and everything sucks. And I don't want to be remembered for that. I would be, I would rather be remembered as a guy that never went anywhere, but still sounded great in his home than making the effort to get out there and then having it all blow up in my face. So when we got to Dallas and got hooked up, there was an issue with the internet, but we got that resolved fairly quickly. And then we had three great days of uh, live shows, uh, three hours each day and great guests and great conversations. And I got to meet a lot of great people, but it was a, it was a success by every stretch from content and uh, being at that event but knowing that I could go out on the road and do it if I had to again was uh, certainly a win. Something I've always wanted to try, but obviously very uh, tepid in doing that because of the reasons I had just explained. And when when did your show become a business? Um, like when did I start making money? Yeah. When did you start getting sponsors? When did you start realizing all the time and effort you were putting in, but that you were gaining enough traction to, you know, reach out to grill companies and, um, you know, all, all the people that have supported your show. Really, it stretched back when I was just doing the barbecue forum portion of it way before I got into podcasting. I was selling banner ads on the homepage. So you'd go to the main landing page and there were like five or six banners, which you look back on it now and it seems to be like the lamest thing that anybody would ever spend money on. But that's where it started. Now, uh, in fairness, and I know not everybody is a sales professional by profession or trade or whatever you want to call it, but I am. So I didn't have any problem going to bat for myself, uh, having information that I was garnering, uh, whether it be unique visitors or paid views or whatever, and then putting that in some kind of a proposal, sending it, but then following up and trying to close deals. I mean, we're not talking, you know, million dollar deals here. We're talking about, you know, 30 bucks a month or 40 bucks a month. And then once I got into the podcasting, it was a quick reach out to people that had banner ads to say, Hey, do you want to come and try this podcast thing with me? And some people did and some people didn't. Some people have been with me since day one from banner ads all the way on. And then over time, as you say, you're growing. I have more accurate data. I'm paying for people to give me data so I can return. Because I understand if you're going to be asked, if you're going to be, if you're going to ask people for their money, be professional about it. Don't just assume that if you say I'm so-and-so and this is some podcast, understand that nobody has any idea who you are or what a podcast is. These are all things that you have to explain. And if you don't have the background in explaining things to people or doing a feature and benefit presentation or building value and overcoming objections and then ultimately asking for their money and you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can be the greatest presenter of all time. If you can't ask somebody for the signature or for their money at the end of it. I mean, who gives a fuck if you can explain, explain it away, but who cares? You're not asking the best question at the end. So I already had that down. I just had to blast it out there and explain why podcasting was a good idea and why target marketing is something that they really want to focus in on. And oh, by the way, I could sit here and go, and if you did it on a traditional radio station, this kind of an ad would cost you this much. But with me, it's, substantially less and it's a lot more concentrated and focused on people you really want to be in front of. Is it easier for you to sell your show or is it easier for you to sell trucks in, in your normal, in your normal primary career? I I'm equally successful at both and I love both and I make you way more money selling trucks. You make way more money selling <laughs> yeah. trucks, but, yeah. but you also don't, you also don't build the truck and the, the truck isn't your company. I mean, this content that you're putting out is all you. 
that's your creative content. Yeah, I, I mean, I get that, but at heart, I like to sell. So, I mean, I understand that I don't own Peterbilt and that my hands are in it only so much, but I build the relationships. I do the proposals. We cl- overcome objections. We close sales. We, you know, do all this stuff that, I mean, to me, a good sales guy, you love to make cold calls, whether you're just starting or whether you're 30 years into the game. You love hugging the people because 20 do 80, of course. But you have to always be in the mindset that if some of those 20 drop off, they get a better deal from another OEM or they get a better deal from a podcast. You're always refilling the hopper just in case somebody falls off. You have opportunity to backfill. So you're not losing any money at the end of the year when you're looking at the W-2. Uh, you know, Same thing for the show. Although I'm not as actively trying to fill it because there just aren't a lot of open spots, but I'm always getting uh, contacts saying, Hey, we'd be interested or I'll always reach out and say, Hey, if you're, if you ever think about it, you know, let me know, maybe we can work on something because I, you always want to keep contacts and, uh, and backfill if necessary. But uh, I can tell you right now that uh, the money that the show generates is completely secondary. It's certainly great. It's a win. I can do stuff with it that uh, helps offset what it would be coming out of my Peterbilt paycheck, uh, travel volleyball, travel softball when we were in it, all this other stuff. But it is uh, completely secondary to why I do the show. And if you're podcasting and your first thought is, I'm going to get into podcasting because I'm going to make money, you should never do a podcast in your life. And that's the bottom line. I think that's very, very important that you point that out. Um, you and I uh, and Stover, we've shared the article where 99% of the podcasters don't make any money, yeah. um, actually probably lose money putting on a podcast. And, you know, the 1% that do, I think you touched on something that so many people gloss over and that is the sales. Um, sales is vital to any kind of content that you're ask, asking someone to sponsor or, you know, whatever relationship that might be. And I think, you know, seeing a lot of people out of the radio business, the radio personalities, they have a very difficult time on the business side asking for the sale, understanding what they're selling, following up with these are the analytics behind what you did buy. Um, where, who, did, who did you learn sales from? Well, my dad was has been a sales guy. Uh, he's retired probably three or four years now, I guess. But he was always a sales. He was doing uh, health and what was the name of the division. So originally he was with Eastman Kodak on the health sciences side. So he was calling on hospitals to sell in uh, back then uh, x-ray machines where they would actually spit out like a plastic copy and they'd put it up against the light. That is a sense evolved into all electronic stuff where you don't need any of that. But, uh, and he, I saw him work his way up from a traveling sales rep to, uh, when we left upstate New York, came here to Cleveland, then he was a region manager. And then from there, they ended up moving down to Florida, right? As I was graduating from college, I moved in with my, uh, well, it's not wife, but then girlfriend into my future in-laws basement for a couple months. So I could save up some paychecks. And he took a transfer down to national accounts down to Florida and uh, eventually, you know, retired. But he was like the sales guy that I knew growing up. Um, I didn't really know any other sales guys, but I knew that I liked the excitement of it. And I liked to hear him talk about it. And, you know, there were all these big numbers that were getting thrown around. And if you were good at it, you could make a good living at it. Uh, but there's also a danger side to being a sales guy. Uh, most companies, when things start to go bad, cut sales guys. They should, probably should be adding more sales guys because that's really what's adding to the bottom line. And I wanted to be a part of it. It wasn't because I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, let's be honest, Sean, there's 20% of all sales professionals out there are probably really good and 80% suck because they didn't know what they wanted to do in college. Then they finished college and they're like, well, I guess I'll just go sell something and get into it. But they have no passion for it. They have no skill for it. They have no command of the English language. They don't know how people operate. They're not able to build rapport right off the bat. All the things that you need to have that are essential to being successful in sales, they don't have, but they get into it because they don't know what else they should be doing. And they give us sales professionals a bad name. And I hate all of those 80% of those salespeople. But if how, you... How do you work on your craft? How have you worked on your craft? Well, it's, I've, taken, uh, I've taken the um, 
workshops. And, you know, I th- I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, 50-50 on workshops because they're usually a lot of money and they take a number of days to complete. But I always feel if you're going to be in one, you, there's probably, if you're, if it's decent, you can probably pull out three or four things that you can apply to your particular industry or you can involve into your sales technique or approach or presentation. So I took a number of those, but then it, you know, I'm, I'm a very self-aware, constantly self-evaluating. So when I get done with a call, I will have a sheet ready to be prepared and run over with myself. Okay. How did we open? How did, was the middle of it? How was the pitch? What were the objections? What didn't I cover? Why did, did I get the sale? Did I not get the sale? Why not? And then just go over everything. So then the next time, all the pros I'll continue to do, but then there's the cons or the reason that I didn't get the sale or things that I'll need to follow up on or do better next time and then work on those. So then the next time I'm in the same situation, I don't have to worry about not being however much of a detriment I don't have to be to myself. I would rather not be to myself. I would rather be viewed as somebody who comes in and we talk about price, but it's really never a huge deal unless we're talking, you know, for trucks, you know, if we're talking 60 and 80 and a hundred trucks, obviously price per unit is going to be a big deal because one times a hundred or whatever is, is going to be that much more, but it should always be uh, relational. And that's how I've wanted to structure all of my relationships with all customers, regardless of the industry I was in, is that they're viewing me as a consultant first and that they're buying from me because they like me. If they don't like me, and they don't trust me, it doesn't matter if I'm selling the best product on earth. I mean, human nature is going to dictate that I don't want to do business with you because I don't like you and I don't trust you. So if I can get you to trust me and like me, then I have, I'm have i way further ahead down the line than I would be if I was. How in When you're in sales, how do you market yourself? I don't understand that. So a lot of, I mean... Sales and marketing traditionally are always what they're segregated in the company. Yes. Yeah. Sales so, um, and marketing where I come from is like in a basement somewhere and they're turning out <laughs> uh, mass emails and stuff that I like hand out when the secretary tells if, me to beat it. If you, if you were able to fix marketing, what would you do? Because I think this is a conversation that doesn't happen enough. Um, the more, different industries and different people I talk to is that people are operating in silos, especially when you're talking about sales and marketing. Yeah, that's a good question, Sean. I don't know if I have an answer for that because uh, as a true sales guy, I rely only on me. Um, I I never rely on the marketing department to do anything. Um, I probably have much greater trust issues and that also folds down into my show on why it's still just me doing the show and nobody else. But to me, I should be out in the market and making the calls and showing up and not just once, but, you know, a hundred times I have found success in going to a market where maybe from, you know, from a a day job side, nobody's ever called on them from Peterbilt for some reason. So I show up once. Well, that's not going to get me anywhere. But then I show up again the next month and then I show up again the next month. And then my card makes it back to maybe the service manager on the fourth time. And on the fifth time, the service manager might give it to the owner, or maybe we've had an initial meeting in there somewhere, but you have to continue to show up. I'm, I'm doing my own because I trust myself the most to do it the way I think it needs to be done. I guess. Do you think, do you think there's a possibility of digital content, digital content that you created assisting in the sale in your industry? as opposed to the way things have been done in the past. Yeah, I think that there could be more YouTube videos. Uh, you know, it, it's funny that Peterbilt is just starting to get into a YouTube channel and showing little three and four minute videos. Hey, this is what the inside of this model looks like. And here's how you change this. And you know, so uh, I, I don't know if that necessarily helps me sell a truck but there's a whole other side to sales that maybe isn't paid enough attention to. And that's what I call the buyer's remorse effect. So we get all the way through, I ask you for your money, you give it to me. Uh, and then XYZ product shows up. You know, let's talk about grills, for instance. Let's say you have a, a grill store and I'm the owner and Sean comes in 
and I give you a pit barrel or a Green Mountain Grill or whatever you want to call it, and you give me the money and I give you the grill and you take it home, you have no idea how to use that. Well, if you don't have a really great experience right off the bat, there's probably a really good chance that I'm now going to get a grill returned or at least feel the phone call that goes, ah, this thing is kind of a piece and I don't really think I want it. I think I want to return it. How do I do that? That's buyer's remorse. You don't, or worse, in transit to get it home, you're like, I don't even really know how to use this. How am I going to do? Maybe I should bring it back. So you want to take care of all of those items as you're coming down to the end. You give me... We make the sale and now I go through a whole process of here's how you use a pellet cooker. Here's how you use this charcoal cooker and here's some suggestions on charcoal and here's how you want to fire it. Give you all the items and all the information you need to be successful right out of the box. Take away that buyer's remorse. Make you empowered as a customer to know that the first time you use it and the 10th time you use it, it's going to be great. Uh, Same thing if you go into the trucks because you can see now through these videos well, I didn't know how to set the radio or I didn't know how to use this particular thing in the bunk, but here's this video that Peterbilt is providing me. I can watch it. I'm in the truck. I can do it along with her. Oh, it's great. Uh, Relating it back to my show. I will tell you, here's what I guarantee I will do for you. And then I follow through on all of that. And then I also say, here are things that I can't guarantee for you. I can't guarantee that everybody is going to buy your meat or everybody is going to buy your smoke or that anybody is going to go to your website. I can't be in front of everybody and make them click and buy and go to websites. But what I tell you I can do, I will do. And if you don't think I'm doing it, then you have a call. We have that conversation. And if we need to resolve it, we will. If we need to part ways, we will. That's just the name of the game. Well, I, th- I think it's very interesting that you said that they're going to start creating YouTube videos specifically for your industry. Um, and I find it even more fascinating when someone like you in the position that you're in, do they know that you podcast? No, Peterbilt? No. Yes. Who am I? Don't laugh. <laughs> what do you mean? Who are you? You're Greg Rempe, the Michael oh. Jordan of barbecue podcasting. Yeah. I mean, my, my dealership group uh, might know but, about it, but not Peterbilt corporate. No way. But you're, but you're, you're underestimating what you just told me before, which was that the Howard Stern show just came online and their audio wasn't set up. You're, you've been doing it. They have a resident expert in their field that could literally help them, whether that's some form of your sales or some form of your marketing. I'm pushing you to your uncomfort zone because nobody knows better than you how you can assist. What is the marketing department doing? I mean, what are they? What are what kind of things are they spending money on? Are they doing Facebook ads? Are they doing mailers? Or what? What are they doing? Conferences? How, uh, how are yeah, they- we'll do the trade show stuff. Uh, they make up cute leaflets for us to hand out for cold calls. Um, I, I, you know, you know, that's for, for day job stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I really don't know what they, what they do every day. I don't ask to be honest. I think that's interesting. Greg. Shame on I me. Should, I think you should ask. I think you should ask because you're a valuable resource that they haven't tapped. You know, we have a, I have a friend, Jeff Dotseth. He, he has the David Jeff podcast. He's been on sports radio for 20 years, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal on the radio. Um, and their podcast is just, you know, one of the most popular ones here in San Diego. And he works for upper deck and upper deck, you know, that's a legacy company. They've been doing baseball cards, hockey cards, you name it. You know, we've, we've all opened up upper deck packs, Oh yeah, but if you go on their website and their website isn't mobile friendly, you know, it's not built for today's smartphone. It's not built to make a purchase, but they also have a small social media presence, but they have a storyteller in their building. Like they're talking about doing podcasting, you know, they've, they've talked to him, but he's been working there for three years. You know, they could easily be putting out content that will help not just him on the customer service side, but the sales side, whoever's selling to will be able to sell more shit because everyone's on their phone. Yeah. Are you feeling me? Are you going to go kick down Peterboard, Peterbilt's door and say, I'm making moves? Well, I, it would probably be a, a better door kick in my dealership group than it, okay, Peterbilt corporate, but I'll start there. And then when I gain fame and adulation from a dealership side, I'm sure they'll promote me to the, to the manufacturing side. How has uh, the coronavirus impacted you guys in your industry? Uh, yeah, I mean, this week was a, a major blow. I had my biggest customer cancel 30 trucks and a 
10 of those were set to build 413 and 420. So it's, uh, and it's just been a, a very quick halt, just like everybody else. I didn't honestly think that I would really see that much of an impact from a trucking side, but these guys are more uh, residential waste, uh, construction. Uh, so all that stuff is pretty much stopped. You can't have more than 10 people in the same grouping here. Uh, otherwise it's banned and illegal. You get arrested. So uh, initially I didn't expect to see much of a hit, but I mean, I can tell you 30 trucks is 30 grand right out of my pocket. So it's, yeah. it's been a, a pretty big, pretty big blow this week, but you know, we'll continue to roll with it and, and hopefully it resolves itself and at the back end of the year, we can start to recoup a little bit, but I can tell you this year will not be as good as last year. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's, that's for sure. And yeah. who knows how long it's going to last. Sure. And that's, that, that's the, the crazy thing that nobody knows. Um, tell me about the guests that you've had on the show. I mean, I know one of you've had Gary V, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk from back when he was wine library days before yep. he, um, built this Vayner Media Empire and um, is doing all the incredible things that he's doing. I know you've had him on three times, correct? Yeah, I think three total. And the first time was probably the last time he was attainable just going back and forth with him. And then the other mm-hmm. two times were scheduled through you know, some assistant or PR hack or you know, somebody like that. But you get to a certain How level do- and you just can't, you, know, you, you probably just can't even manage your day without help. How do you how do you decide who's going to be on the show? How has the show evolved with guests? Well, before so the 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 setup now is two hour show. We have uh, a stable of recurring guests. So first week of the month, Malcolm Reed and Sam the Cooking Guy. Second week of the month, Meathead for an hour. Third week of the month, Stephen Reichlin and Robin Lindars from Grill Girl. Fourth week of the month, Derek Riches from DerekRiches.com and Embedded Correspondent. So as I'm building the month or months or quarters out, I know that I have these guys slotted at these particular time frames or uh, segment interview times. Now, just because I have those guys locked up and gals doesn't mean I have any idea what we're going to talk about. So as we're coming up to those segments, I'll start touching with them a week, week and a half out, we'll start talking about, well, were there things that we didn't get to in the last segment that you did that we want to touch on? Is it still timely? Was it evergreen kind of information that we could talk about no matter what? And then uh, what's happening now? Maybe I've seen something that I want to ask them specifically about. So we'll take a good week, week and a half and consult with each other about how we want this outline to run or an agenda that we want to run for their particular segments. And then from there, it's really what's happening in the industry, what's important from one week to the next. And the open slots are filled in that way. And um, originally it was, it was all new guests all the time. And it was a one hour show it was 50 minutes. When the show started, I, I uh, answered a Craigslist ad from a guy in Los Angeles who said that he was starting an online radio station. So the same way that I had differentiated myself from just having a forum and adding a podcast. Well, then there was an onslaught of barbecue podcasts back then, 2008. So I redefined again and went live because I wanted to try that out. I had no idea how I was actually going to do that, but I saw the Craigslist ad. I talked to this guy. He said, are you sure you can do 50 minutes about barbecue? And I said, I've been doing it for two years. Give me a chance. We'll see what happens once a week. Give me a break. So he put me on and over a two-year period, I went from one hour to this weird after dark segment, which was more of a trial to see if we could go into a second hour. And then I realized that I could carry a whole two-hour show. And then out of two or three years into the live show, we pushed out into the second hour. And it was, but it was all just kind of topical. But remember, back then the show had a much different feel. It was very uh, competitive. I'm uh, not competitive, but uh, there was a lot of competition interest. In barbecue, it was just coming up. There were TV shows coming out. Then you have barbecue pitmasters. There was a whole golden era of barbecue that was on television, more competition related. But it seemed like everybody felt like, oh, well, I could do that. I don't have to be a world-class athlete. I don't have to be in tremendous shape. As long as I have a way to build a fire and I can get some meat to cook, I have an opportunity. And, oh, by the way, I could go up against 
the very best and see yeah. where my stuff stacks up. If you're a football player, Sean, you mean you can't go play against Jerry Rice or against Tom Brady. You just it's just not going to happen. But in the barbecue world, you have the ability to be standing against the best person and perhaps to the right of you is the worst person that is ever going to be there. So you have that comparative. And for the longest part of the degeneration of the beginning of the show, it was competition related, perhaps unfairly pigeonholed as a competition show only because it was never just about competition. But there were plenty of shows where out of the four interview segments, I might have had two or three different competitors talking about different competitions that were going on. And then over time, competition wasn't on television anymore and it became a a competition barbecue became different than it had been. There were a lot more money being spent on it. People buying trailers, specialty meats, people feeling like now there's a barrier to entry. So they're going to spend their money on something else. So that started to wane and seeing that recognizing it, we started to twist the show into the backyard because as competition has started to die off the backyard, has never been more popular in the last five and six years. I mean, grilling and barbecuing has always been popular, but never the renaissance as we have seen here over the last five to eight years. And there's no denying that there it's going to continue to trend up. I don't see this dying off at any point. People want to be the kings of their backyard. They want to put out good food for their family. And more importantly, they want to show all their buddies that they are the king of the grill or the king of the barbecue. So that's how the show has uh, evolved over time. It's gone from a lot of competition stuff to, you know, guys like you that own a restaurant. We can talk about your story or uh, food bloggers that do recipes or people that are reporters in the industry, just giving their takes or a manufacturer comes out with a new cooker and I can, you know, now touch them because over time I've built the reputation of having a pretty, well, over time, I've been able to build a pretty decent reputation where I can reach out to big brands and they're not scared or they don't think that I'm just some schlub producing a piece of shit show. It sounds professional. It is professional. I'm going to ask the right questions. I'm not going to ask easy questions all the time. If there's tough questions that need to be asked, like that's the pinnacle. That's the cornerstone of the show. It might be funny sometimes. We might not talk about barbecue at all sometimes. But if there's questions that need to be asked, I'm going to ask them. And I will demand an answer, whether you want to answer that or not. That's certainly up to you as a guest, but I'm not going to not, uh, I'm not going to not ask it. So a uh, long winded way of how the show has evolved over the last 12 years. Well, I mean, I, th- I think that, that it shows who you are, but that, uh, that sword also cuts both ways because you get people, brands, organizations that choose not to come on your show 100%. because they don't know what they're going to say and they don't know what they're going to ask. And our position, um, you know, at for digital hospitality is you have to own your voice. You have to get out there. And one of the worst things that you can do is, is make a no statement because you make a no statement. You're, you're telling us nothing, you know, tell us what the story is. Tell us what we need to know. Um, those are the things that you've been doing documenting wise, you know, as a journalist, as a barbecue journalist, um, I think that's very important. What would you say to people that choose not to come on your show or that choose no to media requests? That's certainly they're right. And, uh, to me, I think if, if I'm reaching out to you, especially if there is controversy with your product or service or whatever, and I'm giving you a forum. Maybe if you don't know the show, you might be a little apprehensive because you think it might be a Jerry Springer kind of deal where I'm going to walk out the ex-girlfriend and it's going to be bedlam, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, and know this for anybody that's listening, you know, you come on the show, it's completely unbiased. Uh, even though I have a bunch of sponsors, it's well agreed on uh, up front that uh, I could bring on a, a competing brand as a sponsor if I wanted to. Everybody's good with it. We can talk about, uh, anything on the show. Nobody is telling me what I can and cannot talk about. Do people give me suggestions? Sure. But in the end, it's my final edit. I'm the guy that runs the show. I will ask the questions and uh, I bring people on to give them a voice. So if they don't want to come on and talk about this particular issue or that particular issue, that's certainly their prerogative. But remember, not saying anything you are now leaving the general public to make up their own minds. And typically, unless you have a tremendously loyal fan base, it's not always going to be they're making up a great positive story on your behalf. Uh, Typically, it's probably the other side of that coin. So why not come on? 
talk to a fervent bunch of listeners that are in your demo, that are in your marketplace that you want to talk to specifically, and then talk to them and answer the questions. How, what, what kind of advice would you give to people that are starting content creating, whether it's audio, video, blogging, and they hit a lull? They start doing it and they're expecting ROI numbers. Um, they're expecting engagement. They're expecting more listeners every show. Uh, what would you tell them? Uh, I mean, as much as I don't agree with the thought of just starting a podcast, I mean, I would imagine we're going to see an onslaught here over the next couple of weeks of new stuff dumped into a bunch of the podcast platform because there's time. And I'm not here to dissuade anybody from doing it or saying that my way is better than your way or whatever. But uh, I think if you're going to be covering something or you're going to be talking about something, you should never do it in the beginning. And like in the beginning is like three years, four years, five years. You should never be doing it for any metrics. You should be doing it because it's something that you're passionate about. You have a take or an opinion that you want to get out, that you have access to experts in the industry so you can serve a particular niche and become an expert, or at least the guy that knows the experts. I mean, that's me. I'm not an expert on anything, but I know all of the experts in the industry, and I can pull them on my show, and we can have those conversations. I can get their expert opinion. I can give you what I think, but it's certainly not an expert's opinion, but we can have that dialogue. That's what you should be focused on. Uh, sounding good. If you're going to be doing a traditional podcast where you're having a long form interview and then releasing it once a week or uh, once a month or whatever, uh, edit. Does, month, does once, once a month, does that work? I think if that's all you have time for and you want to do it, then once a month, you know, uh, so here are the things that I recommend people to do when they want to have a podcast. A, have an idea of what the fuck you want to talk about. Uh, don't have it be, Stop. yeah, but don't look, I mean, how many podcasts have you ever gotten into? And it's like you have secretly walked in as the invisible man into two guys having beers, just talking about whatever. There seems to be no direction. There doesn't seem to be any agenda. They're just kind of free flow talk. I mean, who cares? It's, it's yeah. going nowhere. So uh, to me, that doesn't appeal to me. And there's a billion of those out there. So have an idea of what you want to talk about. Then figure out a publishing schedule. This is what we're just talking about. You're going to do it once a week. Are you going to do it five times a week? Are you going to do it uh, every other week or once a month? Once you've figured out, I can commit to X amount of content publishing. You have to commit to that. If it's once a month, then you have to drive it out once a month. The worst thing is guys that are like, man, I'm going to really get on this podcast saying I'm going to put out five a week and they do it for three weeks and then it's twice a week. And then a week after that, it's once every other week and then once a month and then they're gone all within the span of six months. Like what happened? You burned so hot, but you had no real idea or plan to make it something that can go on for any longer than, you know, if it, I mean, God, if they wouldn't have slowed down for those last number of months, they would have been burned out. In two months, that would have been it. They would have gone through all the content. So figure out, like for my show, I tried to continuously figure out a way to make it about the live fire industry. I call it the ESPN of us. Uh, my show is like the e what ESPN does for sports. Covers everything. Talk to athletes, talk to commissioners, talk to sanctioning bodies, blah, blah, blah. Same thing with me. So I can make it repeatable, but not the same thing every single time. But figure out an agenda that you can work with and then fold your particular shows into that. That makes it a lot easier to operate and to keep going for the long haul. And then from an audio standpoint, like buy some equipment that will make you sound good. I refuse to believe that you don't have to sound good in a podcast. I don't, I don't, I don't personally believe it. I refuse to put out something that doesn't sound good. You can get into some really good mics and a basic mixer and record in your computer and sound really good. Why not provide something for the ear holes of your potential listeners that sounds good? You don't want somebody listening going, oh, you know, making all these weird faces because it just sounds bad. The fidelity is bad. And then, 
oh my God, if you're going to be doing a podcast in a traditional sense, edit, 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 edit. When you think you have edited too much, go back through and edit again. I mean, when we did your most recent visit on my show, Sean, we laid down 45 minutes, 48 minutes of raw footage, and I released 32 minutes because there's just a bunch of shit on there that maybe some people would like. But why not get to the heart of the matter? Cut out all the stuff that wasn't relating. I mean, again, is there a portion of people that just want to hear all the mix-ups and the ums and the ahs and the swearing and stuff that had nothing to do with what we were talking about before we got back on track? Sure. But if you're putting together a show and you're trying to build it right, why not make the most pleasing product for your audience to listen to? And there are people out there, Sean, who refuse. I'm not talking about you, by the way. But there are people out there (laughs) who refuse to edit. And their show could be a hundred times better. You could go from a 50 minute steaming pile of shit to a 20 minute, pretty decent sounding podcast. And I don't know why, you know why it's because it's lazy. Nobody wants to do a 45 minute interview and then turn around and spend an hour and a half editing. It sucks, but guess what? It's so worth it in the end. The product is great. Maybe nobody's emailing you going, Greg, I just want to you, you did a great job editing. By the way, if you're doing a really good job editing, nobody knows you're fucking editing in the first place. It just <laughs> sounds really good. So edit. Those are like the, the four biggest things that I would tell any potential podcaster that are the most important things to do. Uh, publish, commit to it, get the outline, uh, audio and then edit, 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 edit. I think uh, those are phenomenal points. And I appreciate you laying it down the way that you did because you've had the experience and the live show provides you the opportunity and the fact that you own your own show, but it also provides you the opportunity to be relevant. And, you know, the new shows that you've done with Sam, the cooking guy with Nick Solaris, with us, um, addressing the coronavirus. obviously you want to be an escape from the coronavirus, but I see a lot of content creators, especially right now that have banked episodes by banking episodes. I mean, they've recorded them months in advance yep. and to see it come up in a feed to see it come up on social media it just seems out of context it just it doesn't it doesn't feel right yeah i mean i i I just listened to a podcast this morning when i was getting my run in by the way uh 5k in 23 minutes and five seconds if you're counting and it, it was with todd johns from plowboys in kansas city uh recently he's like laid everybody off he's in the same position as you but the podcast was released. It was obviously in the bank and it has nothing to do with the current situation that he's in. So he's talking about it. Everything is great. Blah, blah, blah. It's not topical. It's not the fault of the publisher. I mean, it is, but to, to, to the point that you're making, when I release bonus stuff, it's not something that I did six months ago and I'm just going to float it out there. It's because I have the ability to get somebody to sit down. We'll talk about it. Uh, whatever the topic is, I'll edit it and then I'll get it right up there. So it's fresh. It's relevant. All these three that we were just talking about, you know, those were done in successive days. So when I, I did one on uh, Thursday, it was, or a uh, uh, Friday, it was released Saturday. I did one on Saturday. It was released Sunday. I did one Sunday. It was released Monday. And then, so we basically had a whole week of shows from, you know, Tuesday live show all the way stretching around to this past Tuesday. There was something coming from me for that many days, uh, seven days in a row or whatever it was. So uh, being topical is key if you're going to do the bonus stuff, uh, just my opinion. But to, to put something out that is out of context to the world that we're living in right now is a little bit to your disadvantage. I I, I agree. I agree completely. What uh, where's, Where is the show going to go from here? If there was no corona, remove the coronavirus, where would the show be going in 2020? Well, the good news is... The coronavirus is not affecting the show. There isn't anything that can affect the show except me deciding that I don't want to do the show anymore. Not one guest makes a show. Not one recurring guest makes a show. Nothing makes the show. The show is its own beast. And I decide if the show continues or doesn't. So disease or not, 
we can come together on a Tuesday. I'm I'm not around anybody here. I'm just in my studio, so I have much social distance. In Cleveland, we are the social distancing capital of the world. So <laughs> says who? Is that Greg Rempe? Yes, that's me. Uh, the barbecue <laughs> capital of the North Coast and the social distancing capital of the world. So okay. we we can continue to talk to everybody that we want to talk to and. Sure, we're not going to talk about Memphis in May this year, or it'll be later in the year, and maybe the American Royal is going to be. We just don't know with some of the big contests that are going on, and maybe I'm going to have a few more conversations this year with people that have barbecue restaurants or barbecue-related businesses and, and talking to them about how they're navigating through these waters or if they were able to make it out of it. But the show will continue to grow and evolve in the way that it is being demanded by the listenership and by what's important right now. And does that mean I'm, I have plans to get out and go anywhere? Well, obviously not at the moment, but I didn't have plans to go anywhere. Uh, that's not true. I was going to go to national barbecue, uh, the MBBQA in, uh, in April down in Louisville, but that obviously has uh, been scratched. So um, I'm going to continue to do what I do. I'll show up on Tuesdays. We'll do it live from nine to 11. You'll get the associated podcast throughout the rest of the week. And we'll just see how we continue to grow and, and what direction people that are listening want to go. Have you ever been surprised by the reach of your podcast and your show? Yeah, uh, through emails like, that I get global, every week. Global, global reach. Yeah, I'll get emails from uh, Australia. I got one from Indonesia. Uh, I've had one from Tibet. Sweden, a lot of England, a lot of England. I've had guests. Uh, on. I had a guy that came in second at the American Royal. I think it was like, maybe he won it from England. And he, that, that following Tuesday, he ended up getting back home and he stayed up. So this is five or six hours ahead at three o'clock in the morning. He's doing a live hit on my show because it was a really big deal for him. So the reach and the fact that people will send me emails and it could be a guy down the road that sends me an email and goes, Hey, I checked out your show. I think it was really good to me. That's well worth more than cash and grills and rubs. Somebody just taking one minute out of their time and letting me know that they listen to it. They're getting some kind of value or some kind of education or some kind of entertainment out of it. That's perfect for me. That's all I need. And when I get them, it's great. I love it. Well, for Stover and myself, um, for the barbecue community, I know here on the West Coast, we've got the West Coast barbecue movement. We have, you know, Derek and I, we've been working hard for 11 years trying to put on an amateur barbecue event yep. on our Spring Valley tailgate and barbecue festival. We've got incredible people that, like you said, back backyard is is what's is what's growing. And yep. especially now, given events and where they're going to go. It's going to be a very interesting year to see how Kansas City Barbecue Society shakes up. Um, it's already been very hard for us. Uh, we've said that, you know, the bet on barbecue event, we're going to be it's going to be a Kansas City Barbecue Society event sanctioned one day event. Mm. Two day events don't make sense. Yep. Um, so we're trying to navigate that. Obviously, we got a big wrench in that right now. Um, but what I do know is that. There's so many people out here on the West Coast. There's so many people in the barbecue community. There's people that respect you as an industry resource, um, somebody that has kept them entertained, that puts brings on people like Malcolm Reed, um, you know, Mike Mills, Amy. Mills. I mean, you you name it. If they if they're in there, you you have it in the archive. And um, I appreciate your your relevancy and your willingness to also push the push the envelope. Um, I think it's important for all the associations, National Barbecue Association, Kansas City Barbecue Society, every single state uh, barbecue association, global barbecue association, that they have a voice and that they do not turn down requests to be on specific podcasts, especially someone like yours that's built a listenership um, because we all share. You know, We believe a rising tide lifts all ships. Um, that's why you and I have become such good friends. That's how Stover, Stover and you and me um, became good friends. And there, there's other podcasters out there. Um, there'll continue to be more podcasters. There'll continue to be more YouTubers, um, TikTokers, uh, people on Instagram. Uh, one of the most important things, no matter what business you're in, is that like you said, if you're doing it for the love of doing it and you're creating content that you want to create, um, you can make it a craft. You've made it a craft. Um, I've admired what you're doing and continue to admire what you're doing. I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I thank the coronavirus for bringing Greg Rempe 
onto uh, the uh, digital hospitality. But, you know, th- this is a whole new world for us. We're going to be interviewing people that we've never had access to um, for our show. You know, Sean, let me let me say this. Let me interrupt you just for a second. I want to commend you. I mean, I would never say this uh, in private, but let me say this in public. (laughs) For as much crap as I gave you for holding firm to the in-person interviews, and I'm like, I don't get it. Like, it makes no sense to me. You have access. You have all this technology. You can be getting whoever you want, but you were insistent on having the in-person interviews. And I just want to, for for all of that time that has passed. And holding Corona aside, I think you would obviously still be adhering to that particular uh, rule of yours. You know, good for you for not relenting and not giving in to people or, uh, I mean, I I can only imagine how many people, well, I I would do it, but I'm just not going to be out there. Why can't we do it remotely? Or, you know, same, I've said it to you a billion times. You're like, hey, get on a jet, get your ass out here. Otherwise, GTFO, you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait. We'll have to figure it out when it happens. And I mean, I hate that the coronavirus has made this have to uh, make you take a, a, a change in that regard. But, you know, this is the changes that we're all trying to make. But, uh, you know, I do really commend you for sticking to that particular rule that you had. And I mean, it has been a absolute pleasure to watch Behind the Smokes go from zero to 100 and then the whole new digital hospitality. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's really great stuff. It's not always barbecue related, but if you're in a business of some sort, then there's something in every episode that you're getting out of it. And I certainly appreciate it. And I enjoy listening to it every week. Well, thank you, Greg. I, it, it means, it means a lot to me and, you know, it's part of digital hospitality. It's you, you know, even when you're digital, you have to be hospitable. And you've been doing that by creating content. That's something that we're trying to do. That's something we're trying to teach other business owners that they can do no matter what business they're in. If they're, you know, if they're in a restaurant business, it's very hard right now, but you need to be digitally hospitable and you need to get your message out there in a way to let your community know that you need your, their support for to-go orders for delivery. And, you know, no matter where you are, no matter where you're listening to this, um, please go out and support your local restaurants um, because they need you right now. Um, they need you a lot. I mean, that that's the, the, the honest truth. And um, for us, it's something that every single week we're going to watch, watch your show. I love that you brought your daughters on. I know you're against having uh, family on social media or the internet unless, unless they do it. But um, it's a world that we're all living in. I mean, everyone's, like you said, we're, we're creating content. People, news anchors are setting up their own studios in their house. Um, you know, this is, this is the new world. And if we're not willing to be flexible, if we're not willing to change, um, if your, your business isn't willing to change and start putting out YouTube content, you know, somebody else will, that's the bottom line. Someone else will. And we need leaders like you. We need leaders that, like the people that listen to this podcast to continue to make change and continue to adapt and reach out to people like you. Um, so thank you for that. Where, where can people find you? Uh, Tuesday nights, nine to 11, the BBQ central show.com. There's a number of ways to consume the show live. There's an audio stream only there's YouTube live. There's Facebook live. I do monitor the YouTube chat. And then on Wednesdays, the first hour of the show is released the podcast feed on Thursdays, the second hour is released. And then Fridays, uh, for the, I think we're two years and almost four months into it. We have a best moments of the barbecue central show in 10 minutes or less. And it's a very convoluted story that I'm not going to get into, but this year we actually went to follow the actual title of the show before it was like two, 10 minute segments. So it was 20 and people are giving me a lot of shit, but now we've gone right to the best 10 minutes of a particular episode. So that's really a podcast that my uh, executive producer, John Solberg does. He does a great job each and every Friday pulling. So I mean, Sean, can you believe it? This guy listens to old ass shows and then I love it. Mines out the gold and then fashions it into 10 minutes or less to hopefully wet the whistle enough to click on the full link. That's also embedded into the post. I mean, absolutely fabulous idea by me, no doubt about it, but John actually (laughs) makes it happen, which I stole from Howard Stern, by the way. So it's, um, that's, how the whole scope of the show comes. But if I could please have all of you, if you listen to the podcast, so it's up on all the different podcast platforms, of course, the iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, you name it, you can find it if you just search The BBQ Central Show. But if you've never checked out a live webcast before, and this is the setup that I have, come on in, 
You never know what's going to happen. My internet could go out. My mic shut off. I could have a bad connection issue with a guest. It's all fun and frivolity for 120 minutes. And as some people say, it's like 118 minutes of ads and two minutes of show. I would argue that fact a little bit. But it's so fun to come in and chat with the people that are in the room. There's a show within a show going on in the chat room. You got to come and check it out once in your life on a Tuesday night, the Barbecue Central show. Well, I, I love I love it, Greg. And um, everything we did talk about is going to be in the show notes. Uh, we added a new writer to our team, Ian, um, out of Austin. Nice. Uh, so Ian Stover, they've been grinding audio, video, um, as well as written word. That's, that's what you got to do. And you got to put it on your own site and you got to own it. Um, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, next week, we're going to have Nicole Duncan, who is the editor at large for full service restaurant magazine. Another guest that I would never be able to interview if it wasn't for the coronavirus, but, um, she's had her, her entire team, the digital team on this story, giving out um, all kinds of resources for restaurant owners so that they can navigate SBA loan, all that other fun stuff that's going on. But mm -hmm. Greg, thank you. Appreciate you. Um, Michael Jordan, a barbecue. Is that all right? Or do you want to be uh, LeBron James? Yeah. I mean, he's what a hometown guy, even though he's a little West coast right now, but you win a championship for Cleveland, you're good. You can go wherever the hell you want after that. So, uh, Sean, it's been an absolutely fabulous time. Uh, so humbled that you'd have me on and really had a lot of fun. You were, you were the, you're the first uh, digital guest, and there's no one better than the Greg Rampey Barbecue Central Show. Thank, Thank you. you.